Amen. Uh, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Uh, let's try this. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? So glad to see you all here on this July 1st morning. Uh, can anyone else believe, man, it's hard to believe that it is July, right? Man, it's crazy. Like, summer is already flying by, and uh, here we are. And so this is just nuts. Uh, we are in this series called Summer Playlist, and we've been walking our way through the book of Psalms. And as we've done that, sometimes on Sunday mornings, uh, I'm going to do a little bit more preaching. And sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'm going to do a little bit more teaching. And today is going to be a little bit more teaching than preaching. Uh, and so I encourage you to take notes, and I'm really hoping that today is going to be beneficial for you. But as we've been walking our way through the book of Psalms, uh, I just want to do a kind of quick highlight on, on what are the Psalms. Psalms are songs meant to be sung. They're meant to be sung. That's one of the reasons why our worship arts community has put some of these psalms to uh, song to, uh, so that we can sing these songs. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sing these songs. And our worship arts community, we're actually working on recording some of them. So we'll have four of these songs. That, uh, at the end of summer, you, you'll have that on disc or on your iPhone or however you listen to music. And, and hopefully as you listen to some of these psalms again through song, you'll be reminded of, of some of the things that we've walked through and, and, and we've learned as we talk. But psalms are meant to be sung. Number two, we're meant to feel something when we sing them. We're meant to feel something. We're supposed to engage our hearts and our emotions. And second, we're also meant for instruction. We learned that in week one, as, as Psalm 1, these psalms are meant to give us wisdom, to instruct us. And so the purpose of the psalms is both to help us feel something and to think something. To feel and to think. And so again, sometimes we focus a little bit more on, hey, this morning I'm going to be preaching, what we're feeling. But sometimes it's a little bit more on thinking. That's a little bit today. Uh, the book of Psalms is actually broken up into five different books. And Psalm 42, our psalm of the day, kicks off the beginning of the second book. We find out in the little subscript, the little header on Psalm 42, that it was written by the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. So naturally we have to ask, well, who is Korah? You know, and who are these sons that wrote some of these psalms, including our psalm today? Well, if we go back to Numbers 16, we find that Korah was actually one of the rebels who rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And their right to be the mediators between God and man. Remember Moses, he's the prince of Egypt. He's the one that led the people out of bondage and slavery. We've been talking about this every time in the Old Testament. We have to remember the Exodus. That is the defining moment of the Old Testament. As God's people were saved under the blood of a lamb. And then led out of bondage into freedom. Well, after that, Korah was one of the people who rebelled against Moses. And what we read about, which is crazy, is he gathered 250 people to rebel against Moses. Um, but what happened next was the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. So Korah, this guy, rebels against Moses. The ground opens up, it swallows them and closes back up. Like, that's kind of nuts, right? And so now we read about this song from the sons of Korah. What? Well, although this clearly marked the end of Korah and his rebellion, we discovered in Numbers 26 that Korah's sons, perhaps too young to understand their father's uprising, were spared. 
See, God judged those who turned against him in active rebellion and purified his people, but he still had a plan and a purpose even for the line of Korah. And what I think is, is awesome is it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your dad did or your grandfather did. It doesn't matter the wickedness that's in your past. God still has a plan for you. And God does not visit the sins of the fathers onto the children. In fact, we see that the great prophet Samuel, who anointed Saul and David as king, came from the line of Korah. And then during the time of King David, we've been talking about King David, great warrior poet, David the giant slayer, David the king, he took these sons who their father had, their descendant Korah had been in rebellion, but he took them and saw they had gifts and talents and purpose in their life, and David made them worship leaders, and he put them over some of the music in the tabernacle. And 11 psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah, or the descendants of Korah. These beautiful psalms express a spirit of great gratitude and humility to an awesome, mighty God. And they express a longing for God and great devotion. I just love that story. And even though they descended for some who rebelled against God, that God still had a purpose for them. And that gives me hope that it doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, what your family line is like. Maybe you never knew your dad. Maybe you never knew kind of your lineage. It doesn't matter. God has a purpose and a plan for you today. Psalm 42 uh, is almost as memorable and well-loved as the 23rd Psalm. Uh, even if uh, comparing people to deer and sheep is a little strange to us in the suburbs, which is what 23rd Psalm and the 42 Psalm does. But Psalm 42, what I love about it is it speaks to those who feel a little dry, those who feel discouraged, and to those who feel like they're drowning. If today, or if you've ever felt a little spiritually dry, a little spiritually discouraged, or drowning like the waves are just crashing over your head, man, this is a great psalm for you. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you so much for psalms and this book that we've been working our way through. And God, we thank you that there's so many different emotions in it and, and honesty. So God, I pray that as we dive into this, that these would be your words, that the uh, meditation of my heart, the words I speak would be glorifying and honoring to you, God. Thank you, God, for this uh, place that we can come together and worship. In your name we pray. Amen. In life, uh, we have trainers and doctors. We have trainers who help us go to that next step, maybe a physical trainer. You've reached some kind of uh, fitness plateau, and so you work with a personal trainer to help you get to that next step, to help you go to that next level. Or maybe you have a financial or business coach, and, and they help you go to that next level. Well, we also have doctors, and doctors help us get back on track, to get back healthy, to that place where of, of health, and to figure out, hey, what's going on so we can get you back to where you, you want to go. One gets you moving forward, one gets you back on track. When uh, Chris and I were engaged, I wanted to get a personal trainer so I could look good for our wedding. Any other guys do that? Yeah, you want to look good on your honeymoon, right? And so you do your best, you work hard, you work with a personal trainer, man, they kick your butt, and it's really good to have that trainer. It's gonna take you to that next level, and you work hard. But there's also a time in our life when, when just life happens and you get sick, and I remember, having this cough in Colorado that just lingered for 
for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Kristen was gone on a business trip, and Joshua, Joshua, our son, was a little baby. I remember going to the doctor, and the doctor saying, hey, I don't know what it is. It might be lung cancer. I'm like, what? How are you going to bring that up? And, uh, and I was freaking out. We do the uh, you know, CAT scan, and it's like, no, it's just bronchitis. Thank you. Uh, thank you for freaking me out. Uh, but he's like, right, here's what I have to do to get back on track and get back healthy. There are scripture passages that are like a personal trainer. They help us move forward. And there are scripture passages that help us get back on track. Same with spiritual practices. There are certain spiritual practices that help us move forward. But there are some others that help us, are kind of defensive, that once we, we've kind of strayed, they help us get back on track. And today's psalm is one that's going to help get us back on track when we kind of find ourselves where we don't want to go. See, this condition that the psalmist finds himself in Psalm 42 is a condition that will come upon you and will come upon me. It's a condition that every single one of us is going to go through. And so we need to understand the condition, the causes, and then the cure. You need to know how to deal with it when it does happen to you. First thing we're going to look at, the condition. Psalm 42, verse 1 through 4. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? You can't say, when will I see the face of God? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. This guy is in a place, he's spiritually dry, he's discouraged. If we read on, we can see how he talks about, he feels like the waves are breaking over his head, he feels like he's drowning. He says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God, I need you, God. As a deer is panting for water, another translation says. You have to keep in mind, is that deer aren't stupid. They don't wait till they're dying of thirst before looking for water. See, a panting deer, a deer that is desperate, that is longing for water, is not just a little thirsty. It's literally dying of thirst, a panting deer. Picture this. A deer has come to the place where he's always been able to find water, but this time, the little stream bed is all dried up. There's no water there. And our psalmist, the son of Korah, is saying, man, I'm like that deer. And God is like that dry riverbed. He's not saying, I don't believe in God anymore, but he just can't sense God anymore. He can't sense God in a personal sense. He's asking, when will I see the face of God again? How many of you can resonate with this? Perhaps at some point in your life you've experienced this condition. Maybe right now this is where you find yourself saying, God, I still believe in you, but there's nothing there. See, our psalmist still believes that God is everywhere. He's lost the relational presence of God. He's lost the taste, the feel, the sound of God in his life. Those thoughts of God that used to strengthen and comfort him, they don't resonate with him anymore. He's lost the reality of God. He's lost the presence, the sense of God in his heart and soul. He no longer feels like he has that personal relationship with God. He's experiencing spiritual dryness, spiritual drought, spiritual deadness. In other Psalms, we read that this condition goes hand in hand with guilt. The psalmist has done something wrong. He knows it. And so he feels disconnected from God. So he has to confess his sins to be restored into that relationship with God. 
But if you notice, that's not what's happening in our psalm. He's done nothing wrong. And this spiritual dryness, this condition of spiritual depression has just come upon him. So this is very important for us to know because as Americans, I think we think that if something is wrong, something had to have caused it, right? Like we want to know, all right, what went wrong? Who is to blame so that we can sue them, right? That's how Americans look at things. Like things only go wrong if someone is to blame. Same thing happens, I think, with us who are Christians and Americans. When we start to feel spiritual deadness or dryness, we ask, what's wrong? What isn't working anymore? Okay, I need a new church. I need a new small group. I need a new Bible study. Something isn't working. I gotta study harder because something must be wrong. I need to change something. I think it's just tough, tough in general for American Christians to admit that we're feeling spiritual dryness. Because I think when we do, our friends will be like, whoa, you're not sensing the presence of God in your life anymore? You're feeling spiritual dry? Like, have you prayed in faith? Have you claimed all your promises? Have you rebuked the devil? Have you pleaded the blood of Christ? Have you thanked God for your many blessings? Surely there'd be nothing wrong with you if you're doing everything on your Christian to-do list, right? And so we tend to think, like, what have you been done wrong? You should be sensing God every day the same or more every day than the last day. But this guy in Psalm 42 has done nothing wrong. There's no confession of sin. Because you see, this condition will happen to you. And of course, spiritual dryness can happen because of sin in our life, but it can happen without any wrongdoing on our part. Therefore, it will happen to you. And if you're a new Christian, this can really freak you out because as a church, we tend to not tell people to expect this. We don't say, like, hey, at some point, you're going to feel disconnected from God and spiritually dry. We try to paint the picture that every day is going to be better than the next. You're going to grow in your relationship with God. It's just an uphill up and to the right, right? That's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. So if you're a new Christian, and if you haven't experienced this yet, a season of spiritual dryness or spiritual depression, you need to know that it's going to come in your life. And you need to understand the condition and the causes behind it, and, and what to do so that it won't derail you. So I think as American Christians, when we think when spiritual dryness comes, we're really bad at treating it. In general, we're, really, we're pretty good about, you know, the positive spiritual disciplines, like reading our Bibles, you know, going to church, going to small group, but we're bad at the defensive ones. We're bad at figuring out what do we do when we're sensing spiritual dryness, when we need to figure out what to do. So we need to learn what to do or, or we'll make things worse. As a kid, I played t-ball, little league baseball. Who else played baseball as a kid or soccer? Yeah, so I played baseball. I wasn't that great. And so where do they stick kids that aren't that great at baseball in little league? In the outfield. Thank you. Yes, yes, you heard it. So I played in the outfield, right? And I remember you know, watching my teammates play, and uh, I don't mean to brag, my team in first grade went undefeated. And uh, coaches pitched. And we... Uh, Average beating our teams by like 23 runs, and uh, we're in the paper. So yeah, we're pretty good. Um, but I peaked athletically in first grade, so that's kind of sad. Um, it felt good to be on an undefeated team, though. But I remember being in the outfield and watching, it, you know, and, and the coaches pitching or whatever. And then, you know, when everything got a hit, I was like, oh man, they got a hit. This is a bummer. And you know, I watched the ball sail to the outfield, and then I realized I'm in the outfield, right? It's like, oh no. Go get the ball, and you know, what would have been a single now becomes a triple. Uh, because, you know, I, I was like, oh, I got kind of lost in the moment. Didn't respond the way you know, I should have responded. The same thing happens in our lives. 
that when spiritual dryness comes upon us, we don't know how to respond. If we don't respond in the right way, the enemy's going to score extra runs. Like, instead of just a single, it's going to be a triple in our lives. So that's why we're going to spend some time this morning on learning what do we do? Because all of us are going to have seasons in our life where we just feel disconnected from God. Well, first, let's look at some of the common causes. Sin definitely is one of them, but we're going to look at, aside from that, because that's not in our psalm, what are three common causes in Psalm 42 that cause spiritual dryness or deadness or depression? Number one, a disruption of community. Number one, a disruption of community. We find out that our writer used to be in the southern part of Israel, in, in Judah, where Jerusalem is the capital city. That's where the tabernacle is. That's where, that's where the sons of Korah would come together and lead people into worship. But now he's up north, our psalm tells us, in the northern parts of Israel. We don't know what he's doing up in the north. I don't know. Maybe he had a cabin, and he liked to go up north, right? I don't know. Maybe that's what he's doing up north. Maybe he's a hostage. Maybe he's um, an exile for whatever reason, but he's a long way from home. He's in the northern part of Israel. That meant he's a long way away from God's home in the tabernacle, where the ministry of the sons of Korah was based in Jerusalem. And our writer recognizes this paradox. He knows that both God is everywhere, but at the same time that God is specially to be met with where his people meet. He's always in God's presence, but yet at the moment, he feels very far away from it. The very words in the psalm, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? In verse 9, shows that in the psalmist's mind, God is remote enough for him to feel deserted, yet near enough for him to talk to. He's like, God, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. I know you're there. I'm still going to talk to you, but I don't feel it. I know that, God, you are everywhere, but you feel distant. This feeling of dryness is a long way away from Psalm 23, two weeks ago we talked about where God leads us beside the still waters. And here's what we have to understand, and we're so quick to forget. There is individual prayer, and there is corporate prayer. There's individual praise and corporate praise. There's individual Bible study and corporate Bible study. And you and I need both. See, Americans, we tend to underestimate the importance of communal spiritual experiences. As I was studying that, I, I saw a statistic that said 80 to 90% of Americans say, I can be a good Christian, I can be a good Jew, I can be a good Muslim, all by myself. I don't need community. That is, of course, antithetical to all of Christianity, Islam, Judaism, that we are a people together on mission. We are supposed to come together as the people of God. I think that is why often we fall into spiritual dryness, a disruption of community. We don't want to be held accountable. We don't want some people asking us, hey, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Is there sin in your life that you need to confess? We don't want to get into small groups of community. We can fall into spiritual dryness because you lose your community. And here's an important thing to remember as well. In a city like the Twin Cities, like Minneapolis, in a church like Mosaic, here's just the simple reality. That people are going to be coming and going constantly. And so right now, you may have community. Like, man, I'm good. I got my friends. I got my small group. Everything is great. 
But you and I need to be constantly reinvesting into our community, or else in a year or two, we're gonna look up and be like, what? Two couples moved away, that one got a job change, all of a sudden I have no more community. We need to constantly be reinvesting in every season, every couple of months asking, man, am I still in community? Who do I need to invite into my life? Who do I need to invite into my small group? Who do I need to start having breakfast with or, or, or grab lunch with? It's not something like we just set it and forget it. Especially in an area like the Twin Cities that is so mobile, people are constantly moving in and out. We have to be proactive in our community. Otherwise, we're going to wake up one day and be like, man, where'd all my community go? Number two, disillusionment at the events of life. Disillusionment at the events of life often causes spiritual dryness. In verse three, he says, day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies constantly taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? are saying, where is your God? Where is this God that is allowing children to be separated from their parents at the border? Where is this God of yours that is allowing suffering and evil in Syria? Where is this God of yours that is allowing earthquakes to happen and people to die? And if we get so caught up in the news and what is going on, we can find ourselves disillusioned, saying, God, yeah, where are you? No. And I can tell you, last couple of weeks I have had to pull back from reading news on Twitter or, or flipping on TV or whatever it might be because, man, I just get disillusioned. I think, God, where are you? And we can feel dry. We just get beaten down. Number three, depletion physically. Depletion physically. Most commentators that I read through this kind of skipped over this, but one had a great insight in it. That's great. In verse 3, he says, Day and night, I have only tears for food. Here's someone who isn't eating. He's not drinking. I think he's wasting away physically. We need to understand that we are not just a soul, that our, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, we are, all those things work together physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. We can't neglect the physical. I know personally, like if I go more than two days without getting my heart rate up, without doing some kind of workout or exercise, I get cranky. And I, know, I feel disconnected from God. I don't have as much love for my kids. If you allow yourself to get run down physically, if you're just going, 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 that can cause spiritual dryness in your life. God gave us the Sabbath for a reason. 24 hours a week to unplug and to not work. And when we do that, it's good for our souls, it's good for our bodies, it's also good for our trust. Say that the world's going to keep spinning, but God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to unplug personally from the church. There's things I have to do, but you know what? I'm going to trust in your hands. And so if we find ourselves depleted physically, we can find ourselves detected from God and spiritually dry. So what's the cure? What do we do? Number one, the psalmist asks why. Verse five, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? It's good to ask that question. God, why am I feeling this? Why am I so discouraged? The first step is, is, is understanding kind of what are we feeling? Where am I at? Okay, I'm discouraged. Why am I discouraged? What is going on here? Number two, he affirms God's steadfast love. In verse eight, 
But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. He affirms God's steadfast love. And I love this that each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and then through the night he's intentionally singing songs of praise. It's easy to praise God in the daytime when the sun is shining, but when we go through those seasons of nighttime, it's important to remember to sing. And singing doesn't mean that we're happy. Sometimes it's singing songs of lament. It's remembering. It's singing, I am thirsty. I am weary. I am needing to feel your touch, God. In, in, in the dark night of the soul, to sing that. God, I know you're, you're good. I'm going to affirm your love. And I'm going to sing these songs to you just to make it through the night. Number three, he preaches to his own soul. Verse 11, he preaches to his own soul. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. As I head towards my conclusion, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute or two. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually wrote a whole book on this psalm, Psalm 42. It's called Spiritual Depression. And I want to read just a little chunk from that. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but there they are talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, One of our problems is that we spend too much time listening to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. You and I need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Say, listen, self. Listen up, Lindine. If God is for you, who can be against you, self? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, self, will he not freely give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against you, God's elect? It is God who justifies self. It is Jesus who died, yes, who was raised to the right hand of God who intercedes for you, self. What can separate yourself from the love of God? You and I need to preach to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves that we are more than conquerors, like Marcus was saying. Self, Jesus loves you. He died for you. When those thoughts come in your head, we need to be preaching to ourselves. If you do it out loud, you might just think, you know, you're talking to your Bluetooth. It's okay. You know, just walk around and preach to yourself. Man, nothing can separate from the love of God. He loves me. He has called me. Number four, he remembers. He remembers. He says, my heart is breaking. I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession in the, procession in the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. He used to be one of the worship leaders, and now he's up north. We're not sure why. And he's remembering, man, it's so good to be in the house of God. Many of you grew up in churches with a very shallow view of what is happening right here in this moment. The meaning of corporate worship. If nothing more is happening than just me giving you some information and us being entertained by the worship band, then when we look back and when we try to remember, it's just nostalgia. The only reason the psalmist would look back and remember is because he knew God was real in that moment. 
He says, I remember when I was in the presence of God, when I felt Him. At the end of my life, I'm going to look back and remember. I'm going to remember baptizing Bree. I'm going to remember baptizing Jim. I'm going to remember receiving communion with you all. I'm going to remember as tears rolled down my face in an elementary school gym as I reminded you of the love of God that was poured out through Christ Jesus on the cross. I hope you don't come to these services and just view them as entertainment. God is here in this place, in this gym. People pass from death into light in this room. Saints are being made strong and made to weather the assaults of the devil. God is receiving praise in this room. This is a divine human transaction. Not just now, but 10 years from now, when you look back and remember, it will save your soul as you remember that God was real in this place. I say this to hopefully elevate your heart and your mind to understand the importance of what is happening when we gather together as a people of God. God is here. If you're a guest, I want you to think of the thing of a massive importance that you might be missing out on. By not coming together to remember, to lift up the name of God. And finally, the psalmist here is not pleading for relief from his circumstances. He's not saying, God, change it so that I feel you more. In the middle of the night, singing his prayer with waves breaking over his head, feeling in turmoil. turmoil. He's not saying, God, get me out of here. He's saying, God, I want you. I want you so bad. God, like a deer pants for water. God, I want you like that. I think that's the message of the whole book of the Psalms. It's human hearts weaned off of comforts and security and money and ministry and instead addicted to God, saying, God, we want you in the same way that a deer longs for water. God, we want you. If I have to stay under the water as the waves crash over me so that I can feel you, God, so be it. If I have to remain in this desert so that you, my only hope, you are the only thing that I can drink, then I will do that because, God, I want you. That is our prayer as a community. Say, God, we are desperate for you. God, we are thirsty for you because you are the only thing that will satisfy us. Amen? That is our hope. That is our prayer. That is my hope for you. To realize something real is happening here in this place. Would you stand for me? I hope you have an awesome 4th of July. I hope you celebrate this week. But remember, our hope is in God alone. It's not in our president, it's not in the government. We live in an amazing country, but that is not our hope. Our hope is in Christ alone. And I pray that throughout this week, that each one of us, that we would be longing for God, that He alone would satisfy our thirst. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the Psalms. I thank you that for the sons of Korah, who their descendants rebelled against you, but God, you still had a plan and a purpose for their lives. So God, I pray that right now, here in this place, God, that saints would be strengthened. God, that we would stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God, that if there are those this morning who come from a, a family line, that, that you, uh, they feel ashamed. God, they would lay that down. They would identify with the sons of Korah. That it doesn't matter what their father did. God, that they can serve 
And God, I think even if this songwriter was so open and honest but feeling dry, feeling depressed, feeling discouraged, feeling like he was drowning. And in the middle of that dark night of the soul that he said, my hope is in you. I will trust you. God, may our attitude be the same. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. May you know that God loves you. He just love you. He so loves you. And may each one of us long for God like a deer pants for water. Go out of here. Have a great week. And since we're all a little thirsty and hot, we're going to go enjoy some wonderful river floats. Have a great week.